صباح الخير uh, مساء الخير عند احمد uh, thank you all for joining us again uh, all four of you we uh, don't know how many people are watching this is another episode of uh, politics in the name of Cor- time jesus politics in the time of corona i say name every time welcome to politics in the time of corona uh, my name is bassam haddad and with me is uh, noura aliqat and this is our fifth or sixth episode And we are joined by uh, Dean Ahmed Dallal from uh, Georgetown in uh, Doha, Qatar. We are very excited to have you, Ahmed. Uh, we're going to conduct this in English. And welcome to uh, this uh, podcast. Very good to be with you always, Noura Wassam. Thank you. Uh, Ahmed, if we can just start off with you telling us how you are coping with this at the personal Uh, level with the family and how you're dealing with this in Doha, this pandemic? Yani, of course, the pandemic is quite scary. <laughs> this is no one would have even imagined something like this in our wildest dreams, I think. Uh, I haven't. You know, I've been through, I've grew up uh, during the civil war, I've been through some tough time, but this is the scale of this is really overwhelming and 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 uh, humbling in, in many major ways. Uh, you know, we're still in the beginning and the actual fallout and the effects of this will, will uh, become clearer with the passage of time. We've moved into remote work and instructional continuity and uh, online instruction, you know, at the beginning of uh, earlier in, in, in March. And, uh, Soon after we started preparing for uh, remote work and most of us moved and as of last week, I also started working from home. Yani we've pre- we prepared all this setup for, for working from home. So I'm now confined, except of course for uh, grocery shopping. That's, that's the only reason to go out once in a while. Uh, I'm with the family. In, in a way, it's a relief. No, uh, I don't worry as much about bringing something home to the family and they're also more... more uh, Uh, yani they feel more comfortable with me with them. I go into the room. I actually work much more now than I did. Uh, I mean, I always worked a lot, but if you can imagine, I even work more now than I did when I wasn't uh, at home. And, uh, you know, in a way, we're busy making sure that we're, uh, we're operational. So the, you know, the, the sort of fixation, if you will, on, on the operations sometimes keep you distracted. When I finish working, I follow up, I read on, on what's happening elsewhere in the world. I, you know, I try to read on what's happening on the science front, you know, what, what we know about the, the virus. And I have nightmares, obviously, <laughs> of course, you know, every night, I mean, you know. But anyway, we're fortunate that we have the ability, we have the, you know, the technical ability to continue working. So the confinement, at least, at least there is a sense of purpose that keeps us distracted. Um, but the, the, you know, this, the, the scale of, of uh, this moment is, is huge, it's massive. Uh, and, uh, and I think the, the psychological effects on all of us are going to become more and more. I mean, of course, in some places they're immediately visible. But as this unfolds, becoming, they will become more and more visible. I only hope that once this nightmare is behind us, people will not forget uh, what we've... Uh, Uh, before we uh, go on, before I uh, yield the floor to Noura, can, can you tell us 
a little bit about the view from Qatar uh, regarding the basics. I know that there have been about almost 700 cases with only one death, yeah. I mean, only in quotation marks, and uh, things of that sort. We don't know uh, very much about how the broader situation is in terms of preparedness, in terms of dealing with uh, the pandemic. Uh, can you give us just an overview? Look, I don't think anyone is prepared for this pandemic and people are learning how to deal with it. And the country has been proactive, very proactive in taking measures. Actually, the decision to go online is a national decision. We didn't make it. We made it before our main campus made that decision, before they went online. We made it here in Qatar before because there were national directives to this effect. Uh, schools were closed. Uh, you know, and gradually there is there is no complete, there is no curfew, there is no complete lockdown. There are occasionally areas where there is a high concentration of, of uh, cases which need to be tested and disinfected. They're sealed and they're disinfected and eventually they lift the, 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 the uh, lock on, on, on these areas. But there are restrictions on, on all public gatherings. Uh, all shops were closed. The only stores which are open now are supermarkets and pharmacies um, and delivery services. Uh, so there is, and, and there is a, you know, gradually with the passage of time, especially this last week, uh, since uh, the beginning of, uh, of last week, the, there has been much more enforcement of, of, the, uh, of the prohibition of public gatherings of all sorts, including prayers, including uh, funerals and weddings, including even house parties and house gatherings, uh, including a high concentration of, of uh, passengers and, and cars and buses and so on. And, and the, the, you know, the, the, in parallel with that, as you said, there are, uh, there are close to 700 cases. The last count last night, there is a count every night. Last night, I think it was 693 or some such, something like this. And uh, there are about 20,000 people who have been tested. So the testing is, is I, I think this suggests that there aren't enough test kits. The testing is very deliberate and, and, and not everyone who needs to be tested, they're checked first and that if, you know, if, uh, if there is a reason to test them, they test them, otherwise they don't. There are multiple quarantines, uh, quarters that have been established everywhere for all, for everyone in Qatar. For the work, for for the workers, for the migrant, uh, for migrant labor, for the workers, you know, the workforce, for uh, for for all segments of the population. For example, we have dorms at Qatar Foundation, and there are two buildings within the dorms. Some students who could go back home and wanted to go back home left, but that's for us, for the Georgetown population. I don't know about others. I think it's a similar numbers for other campuses. Only a third of our students chose to go back to their home for a variety of reasons, including in many cases, some of our students are, uh, you know, are from countries which don't, which are not equipped to deal with the, with this situation, which are neither equipped technologically, they don't have the bandwidth, they don't have the, 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 the reliable uh, network connectivity to continue education online, and they're not equipped health-wise. So many of our students chose to stay in, in Qatar. Uh, you know, the dorms, sec, you know, two buildings for the female dorm and, and male dorm were, were emptied and, and prepared in case there are cases. They're prepared to quarantine individuals in case they, they need to. So far, there has been no cases in, in QF, but uh, 
and there were many major measures that were taken. Also, food is delivered, uh, prepackaged food is delivered to the students now. Uh, there is, you know, around the hour healthcare, there are nurses and there is a, a clinic in QF and nurses in the dorms, two, and two uh, uh, male and two female nurses at any one time. So, that, you know, there are, they're very proactive about the, the measures on the, national, uh, on the national level. And, you know, we've been acting pretty much, in, at least in part, in response to that and also in part in, in, uh, in coordination with my campus, with the developments of my campus. You want me to tell you more? Oh, I can tell you. I, I didn't know. If I, <clears throat> I just became curious about. So you're telling us uh, um, an, uh, an, the view from the campus itself. I'm wondering about the national response. Um, and your assessment is uh, it's great that they've um, put a ban on on gatherings and prayers and house parties. Um, but in terms of the testing and the hospital capacity, what does that look like? Is is uh, Qatar? well prepared in your assessment um how are people responding uh to these calls has there been um do you see some sort of collective response um on the ground is it was it set up to 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 execute well uh, you know of course we will only know once we are tested to the extreme but so far everything suggests that there are you know that there are reliable measures and professional measures that are put in place. At the very beginning, there were, there were tests conducted at the airport. You know, in, in a sense, the blockade is a blessing because there is only one port of entry and there is at least some measure of control over the, the flow of, of people into the country. Uh, there were strict measures that were introduced at the airport. Right now, very few people can travel. Uh, uh, there, there is, it's not complete, you know, Qatar is still flying. And by the way, they're flying cargo flights, but they're also, uh, they're involved in shipping uh, medical equipment and support to countries that are in bad need, including Iran. I mean, they've sent some medical equipment to Iran and they're sending also to other countries elsewhere. So the cargo is playing a role in, 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 in this. Anyway, from early on, they started uh, controlling the, you know, the, the, the entry to, to the country and they, they were testing the passengers. They were asking them where they came from and so on and so forth. As you know, things moved very quickly. Uh, you know, so very quickly they banned flights to a certain number of countries and then they increased that number and now it's pretty much everywhere except for bringing back citizens. A couple of days ago, they were Bahraini citizens. They were not able to, uh, to, they were not because they were, you know, all the airport in Bahrain was closed. They were not able to go back to their home students. They brought them to Qatar and they hosted them until Bahrain provided a flight to bring them back to Bahrain. So they're, you know, they're, they're working systematically on this front and they started building capacity. They emptied, I don't know the exact number, but there is a very large number of hotels that have been emptied uh, to serve as needed as quarantines. Uh, there, is a, there was a, 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 a city for workers that was under construction uh, and uh, the government sped up the construction of this whole city and designated as a quarantine uh, location in case it needs to be used for, uh, for workers. So there is a, and then uh, hospitals, of course, most of the hospitals are no longer receiving uh, uh, regular cases, uh, you know, unless they're urgent. Uh, and not all hospitals, some hospitals, so it depends. 
they've introduced uh, you know tele medicine services in all of these uh, in all of the hospitals at the national level and they've designated some hospitals emptied the hospitals and designated them completely for the treatment of uh, of uh, the of the virus of people who are infected um, so there are designated hospitals they're building more uh, more uh, facilities also to accommodate more uh, you know as they treat and so far they've been able to accommodate are they everyone as they treat uh, their building as well you said they're, they're building more hospitals are they anticipating a surge in the coming weeks they're acting i think it's the only way to to act they're acting as if there will be a surge and uh, there is a national committee a high level national committee and there is there are there is strict implementation if, if uh, about a week or 10 days ago they released 10 citizens uh, who were under quarantine and they released them they didn't have the symptoms but they were in touch in contact with people who had the symptoms and they asked them to self-quarantine for 14 days they didn't observe the quarantine so they published their names and they persecuted them you know uh, legally as and on criminal charges civil charges how did they pr uh, prosecute how did they prosecute them on, on, under, criminal? The, under criminal the government uh, decided to persecute them for violating the the requirement of self-quarantine and they released their names to the public sort of public shaming them as well and actually spoke about them the spokes the you know the spokesperson for the emergency committee which which has a press conference which is far more reliable and confidence you know it inspires confidence much more than the press conferences we're seeing on your end of the, of the world uh, they actually are very they they uh, they you know they release the figures they share the information and so on on a daily basis uh, and and they said they said this is a this is a risk for the whole community and this cannot be tolerated so that you know the country is acting very very seriously uh, you know i can tell you we have you know by policy we we are at, since we moved to uh, telework work from home people have the option of working from their homes here in Qatar or from their homes elsewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, we have only two staff members who chose to fly back and for very specific individual personal reasons. We have a handful of faculty members, uh, you know, less than a handful of faculty members who chose to fly to their quote-unquote countries, their other countries of origin because this is their country of residence. In all cases, because their their families, their spouses and children were in these countries, and they didn't want to be away from them, you know, quite understandably, in case of an emergency, the flight itself was risky. But they couldn't, uh, they, you know, they had to be with their families and enjoy their families, take care of them. But uh, there are faculty, for example, who are here on, you know, for a year. You know, we have lots of exchange faculty from the U.S. And this would, you know, it would have made perfect sense for them for them to go back home to the US because they don't need to fly back and the whole question of you know the uncertainty about the ability to fly back they so far they've chosen to stay here. Uh, Ahmed uh, if if you can tell us from your vantage point in Doha Qatar what does the regional uh, scene look like in comparison to Doha I'm assuming that you would know a lot more than all of us here what is going on around Doha, uh, Emirat, UAE, uh, uh, Kuwait, Bahrain, much more so than Saudi Arabia, but also Saudi Arabia. Is it a comparable situation in terms of the... Uh, I, think, I think in all of these countries, there are very strict measures that are now 
taken in all of these countries, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, stopping flights, closing the airports, or at least reducing the number of flights, in terms of lockdown and shelter in place and, and closing schools and so on and so forth. Uh, so there are comparable, comparable measures, although uh, not all countries started at the same time. You know, there was a reluctance uh, in the beginning. Qatar started very early with all of these public measures, uh, you know, and introduced steps almost incrementally by the day. And you could see that there is a committee that is weighing the odds and, and making, making decisions on a daily basis. It was a little bit more delayed than other places, but, I, but right now, most of these countries have, I mean, Saudi Arabia was the last to, to come forth and, you know, although they were taking measures, but they were saying there are no cases in Saudi Arabia. Of course, there are quite a few now. Now they're, they're, the cases are published. Uh, so so there, there was a slight delay in, 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 uh, in, in uh, announcing the, the cases. But at, at this point, and you know, in a way, in a way we are fortunate that, you know, the countries have the ability to, to mobilize and take these measures. It's not, it's a privilege to be able to, I mean, you know, to be able to take measures like this. Now that said, a couple of days ago, there were laws that were passed in, in UAE, which say that, you know, uh, employers have multiple options, including laying off some of their workers or having partial work or laying off a portion of the, of the work and so on and so forth. Qatar has, uh, you know, has passed laws saying that everyone, so all workers, even if they're quarantined, will, re will receive uh, full supply, medical as well as, uh, you know, all, all, everything they need for survival. Uh, and by law, they have to receive their full salaries for the foreseeable future. And, uh, you know, whether they're quarantined, whether they're working or not, so no salaries will be stopped for, for everyone across the board, for all of the workers. And again, we're fortunate that the country can do something like this because it's very costly to do something of this sort. Uh, but Qatar has been very clear about this. Uh, of course, you know, this will, will take, you know, this will take a toll. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a costly decision, but it's been published, it's been repeated almost on a daily basis in these press conferences that I tell you about. The measures are taken across the board for, for, for everyone. And in fact, in terms of the implementation of these measures, the most of, I mean, the workforce is compliant. I mean, you know, by and large, uh, the, the, the distance is from families who are, you know, who are finding it difficult for understandable reasons to confine themselves. And there is quite a lot of effort to, to ensure that these measures are applied across the board. And you know, I mean, you know, it is, it's, it doesn't take a genius to, to understand that you cannot solve a problem of this scale for a portion of the population. You know, you either, you either introduce measures that apply to everyone or everyone is going to pay. I mean, the whole world is paying for, and, and there are still people who don't see it this way. You know, but it's quite commonsensical. It's, it takes a little bit of common sense to understand that this is, that, you know, that it's a collective vulnerability. There is no, you know, these, you know, it, it affects us all in the same way. And all of the other barriers drop. I mean, it doesn't mean, I mean, it doesn't, of course, the, the, the fact that there are populations which are extremely vulnerable and others, you know, who could, who could afford to be protected, 
I mean that that fissure, that gap is 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 is, uh, is now becoming. You know, I mean the, the the crisis reveals all of these these major social ills global at the global level. But at the same time, I think it doesn't take a lot of thinking to to realize that the solution has to be global. Otherwise, there will be no solution. I think um, you know what you're highlighting is something that's still. You know, the left is definitely cognizant of how class status, um, you know, and uh, exacerbates vulnerability, uh, close proximity, poor hygiene, lack of access to medical care, lack of access to health insurance. All of these things are, are laid bare about, you know, the possibility of even survival, the ability to quarantine, right? Even the ability um, to quarantine has, has made that very, very obvious. Uh, for a lot of people, and yet for some, it's still like as you're saying, this idea that you not it it, it won't be possible that just a few of us will survive, right? That this you know the idea that was floated around in the in the UK and in the US that somehow only the the strongest would survive, <laughs> which was a veiled a very thinly veiled right. Um, racist and 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 classist trope before they realize actually that they could not be immune they could not be immune you know the way i see it there are i mean of course the most obvious uh, form of vulnerability is people who cannot afford to not work because they will start because they don't have the option because they will not have access to medical care if they get infected because of everything they can't eat they can't feed their families and this is where it's, you know you know so, so there is a lot of fixation on the economy as opposed to mm-hmm. seeing, you know, the priority is society, it's people, it's not the economy. I mean, what good is an economy when, when people die en masse and when, when there's such an impact on the population? So, you know, if, if you could address this issue, the issue of this fundamental vulnerability, the, the people who cannot afford to be sick, who cannot afford not to go to work, they get sick and they hide it because otherwise they would otherwise it's certain death for them and their families if you could address this and you can only address it at the national level then you would have eliminated at least a significant it doesn't mean that you've erased inequalities or whatever but you would have erased one of the biggest vulnerabilities in the current situation that's one thing the other the other group of people you know we have one of our faculty members published a small piece uh, on the future of democracy after uh, COVID. And he said, you know, and, and I find what he wrote very interesting. He said that, uh, you, you know, it's interesting how easy it's been for some to get into this isolation mode. You know, it's not, dif- it's not, you know, we're always, you know, we're all talking about, you know, how difficult it is to be in this, but he, what he was observing is that for significant segments of the population, it was automatic. Yeah, let's go home. And, shelter ourselves and hide and 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 in a sense that is that is a you know to my mind this is a you know this is a you know the the extreme thinking about these about our fate and our destiny in in extreme individualistic ways and not not recognizing that our fates are so intertwined and interconnected and of course, you know, this is happening at the highest levels of authority, you know, at the highest levels of power, this type of approach to the, to, to the problem. Uh, so anyway, that's a different story. That's, that's another. But there is another segment of the population, the young people who insisted on going to the beaches and, you know, 
people who work in startups and high-tech startups and whatever who think they're invincible, who say, you know, why should we exercise social distancing and whatever? We're all young. We're all in our 20s and 30s. And so we're not, we're not vulnerable. We're not susceptible. So why don't we go and work? Again, they're not thinking that they're, not, they're part of a social fabric and whatever they do will affect everyone else. It is, in a, in a sense, you know, another face of, of, of the same coin. There are those who cannot afford not to go to work because they will starve. They will not have access to any of the services that they will need to survive. So it's, it's you know, they'd rather take the risks and, and work. And there are those who would go to work because they think they're, they're in their little cocoon, they're in, little bu- in their little bubble, and they're not part of society. As a takeaway from what you said earlier, I think, you know, and some folks have actually been studying this, those, you know, we're in knowledge production in different fields, but for folks in public health who've addressed um, class as a public health, a primary public health issue, right? So often we think about it as, you know, uh, just, you know, the medical and the science and not the societal, and, and yet this is emphasizing how public health is a matter of, of, of class. And, and it, again, it's a policy lesson we're not necessarily learning on our side of the world, but it's really at least, you know, it's in, in the places where you expect less have been quite impressive, as Qatar has and as other... Um, as other governments. With the limited resources that are available here, it's really common sense. It's, it's how you deploy whatever resources you have. I mean, you know, not everyone has, of course, again, we're privileged, we're, we're, we're fortunate to have access to, I mean, we're fortunate, for example, in the little institution where I work, that we have, for one thing, we have, first of all, conducive laws and, and measures taken by the government that enable us to operate as we do, that have been proactive and pushed us in a way to take these measures, which are, you know, so far, alhamdulillah, I'm sure, you know, that no community will not be touched by this, will not be affected. But so far, we haven't had cases, and, you know, and, and we're, we're very fortunate for that. But more than that, we were able to operate. We are able to continue operating, in a, you know, on a different level, on a different scale, but we have the infrastructure, we have the bandwidth, we have the technology, we have the resources to enable us to continue to operate. Uh, you know, and our little institution and many other institutions are doing, you know, to some extent, similar things. So we are fortunate, no doubt. Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, it is, it's really, it's not, you know, whether the resources are big or small, it's the will and it's the collective measures that are taken by, the country, by, by any country. It's putting your, your mind, I mean, this is, you know, again, this is, as, as I said earlier at the beginning, Nora, this is, this is humbling. We really haven't seen anything like this. I mean, no matter how many disasters, and we don't come from a, we come from a region which is, which is plagued by disasters. But this is on a different scale. No, no, I mean, it's you know. literally the substance of you know sci-fi literature I've written. Excuse <laughs> me, not written, read. I don't write sci-fi. Yeah. Before before we wrap up, Ahmad, because we're getting to the to the limit, uh, I will ask. Uh, yes. this, yeah, we're we're past. Uh, yeah, we're past. I mean, we I didn't think that we were going to yeah, we're 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 over 26 minutes. Uh so uh, you know, there's talk of uh you know, the end of the world, there's talk of all sorts of, you know, uh uh catastrophic uh potentials. Uh, but I must reveal to you the real reason why we're calling, or at least why I wanted to speak with you personally. Uh, of course, you're a friend, you're a colleague. We've collaborated on so many substantive uh, projects. Uh, 
but uh, the real reason uh, I wanted to speak with you is to find out from your vantage point in Doha if this is going to affect the World Cup. I'm, of course, I'm joking, but do you know anything about that? He's like half joking. Okay, yeah, okay. okay. You know, all the predictions that will take a year to, to 18 months at the latest, and hopefully they will speed it up. You wonder where all the sciences, but anyway, all the predictions. So, yeah, it will have an effect on, on the World Cup to some extent. It will delay things, of course, and uh, but it's still possible. I don't think anyone is, is there. I mean, you know, you're asking this as a joke, but the reality is, I mean, you know, how it's we only can't really on predict too much. <laughs> you know, we want to survive this. Of course, it's not the end of the world, but but you know, at this pace, it is possible to now start imagining the end of the world. You know, there will be other disasters and mm, other worse, worse than canceling the World Cup after the World Cup. <laughs> Ahmed, thank you so much for, for being with us and giving us your time. Uh, I know that uh, there's a lot going on and uh, you took time out of your busy schedule at home. If Noura would like to say anything, please go ahead. Otherwise, uh... thank you, Ahmed. It was great to see you and to get your perspective both at the institutional level as dean of a university as well as from the Gulf where you're speaking to us from. And, and hopefully, and always great to talk to you. But honestly, I mean, you know, the primary reason that I said yes to this is to see you and see yeah. how you do it. I know. Uh, that's, that's uh, yeah, I couldn't say this on, um, on uh, live uh, podcast. Why not? Why not? Shukran Ahmed. Take care. Salam. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.